Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on a day that I certainly thought we would never see in this country. A day uh, when people who work in our medical business, the National Health Service, have actually taken deliberate action to make life miserable for people, ordinary people of this country. People who have taken their time to clap for the NHS, people uh, who have supported the NHS all their lives, people who have paid taxes all their lives into a system uh, which now barely works for anyone, right? But here we have today paramedics. The day after nurses went out on strike yesterday uh, and refused to treat people, we now have paramedics, people who drive ambulances, people who work at the very sharp end of emergency healthcare, saying, don't do anything dangerous because your life may be at risk. We won't be able to help you because we're on strike, because we want more money, because we are the people who keep this country together. Well, I've got some news for you people who are on strike today. You are an absolute and utter disgrace because what you've done is you've put people's lives at risk. You've put people's lives in danger. I said this would happen. I said that if you did take this action, uh, you would be seen as callous. You would be seen as not in any way interested in the people of this country or the health of this nation, that you would merely be seen as greedy. You would merely be seen as people not who have had enough of a system that doesn't work, but who just want a bit more money, because that, in the end, is what it's all about. Union leaders have now said, the Unite Union in particular, uh, that yes, the price to pay in people's lives is a price worth paying in order to get more money. I think it's unbelievable what this country has become. The NHS worship has finally gone too far. The cult of the NHS must now be destroyed. It has to change. We cannot go on like this, right? All you have to do is look in the newspapers this morning to see a picture the like of which I never thought I would ever see as well. This, in the sun today, a 93-year-old woman left to die on the floor of a care home. She fell over, she broke her hip. 25 hours she was lying there. Imagine if that was your mother. Imagine if that was your father. Imagine if that was your sister or your brother. Absolutely unbelievable. Or your auntie or your granny. She lay there for 25 hours because an ambulance couldn't get to her. And that, my friends, I'm afraid, is an absolute and utter disgrace. The NHS ought to be ashamed of itself. Paramedics ought to be ashamed of themselves. We're going to talk to a paramedic this morning, uh, somebody who's worked in the business for 22 years. He's so fed up, he spoke to us the other day, uh, that he wants to get out because he doesn't understand what's happened to the caring, sharing world that the NHS used to live in. Because right now, it seems as though the NHS is in the grip of a bunch of left-wing extremist union leaders who are determined to bring down this Tory government and will do so on the blood and the wreckage of human beings who cannot be fixed, who cannot be picked up, who cannot be transported to hospital and who cannot be saved. Why? Because they must be sacrificed on the altar of trade union extremist labour policy. Unbelievable. Sir Keir Starmer's got nothing to say about it. The Labour Party are nowhere on this. The Tories say, we have offered you a pay deal that you don't like. It's your fault and it's your head on which this will blame. Because you cannot, you cannot refuse to serve people if you're in the national health. You should not be allowed to strike. It's as simple as that. We'll be talking about that with a great many people. Nick Dubois is here, a former Conservative MP, of course. He'll have plenty to say about it. Jamie Jenkins will give us the statistics about it as well. We'll also be talking about Netflix, who think apparently it's a great idea to reenact Princess Diana lying in a coffin, dead. Prince Harry, any thoughts? This is Talk TV, let's get it on.
I'd like to say a very good morning, but it's not a very good morning because I'm afraid that this is a day of shame for Great Britain. Yesterday was bad enough, uh, but I could sort of handle yesterday because many of the people out on strike were nurses who didn't actually work on the front line. I've always believed that an awful lot of the activism that goes on inside of the Royal College of Nursing is simply just that, activism. An awful lot of the people there, uh, and you can see if you look at the front page of The Guardian, uh, these are not desperate people. These are not people who are eating the scraps of other people's plates, quite off, quite frankly. Uh, it looks like more like they've been in McDonald's for 55 days uh, straight, eating the large meals. But here's the point. The difference between what happened yesterday and what's happening today uh, is that yesterday it was very clear that many of the nursing stations were still being operational. Um, most of the uh, part, most of the country actually wasn't even out on strike. But today, most of the health authorities in England are affected by an ambulance strike. And that has to be one of the most irresponsible and dangerous things any union has ever uh, encountered and has ever suggested doing. Let's talk to Nick Dubois, CBE, former Conservative MP. Nick, a very good morning to you. Uh, well, good morning to you, Mike. And, and what a really frank, candid and accurate assessment you made of the situation there. I think it is a shocking day. Mm. Uh, I have, you know, I have right up to this moment, huge respect for paramedics. They put up, I've been out with them when I was an MP. I've seen some of the utter garbage they have to deal with, yeah. people threatening them, abusive behaviour, and they carry on with their jobs. But what has brought us to this situation, I think, is quite disgraceful. Mm. And it was frustrating, no least, to hear Sharon Graham of Unite this morning denying that this was a political or coordinated action that mm. is taking a place with strikes at the moment. You only have to look at a grid of the activity right across the public sector to know that this is a coordinated attempt by union Browns to bring this government down. Yeah, there's no question. It, it, there can't be a question in anybody's mind because, in my view, if you are in the medical business, if you are working as a health operative, whether you be a nurse or a paramedic uh, or even a porter in a hospital, you know, your whole job is about serving the people and helping sick people to get better. It is not about basically withholding that work, withholding your labour so that they can't get better. No, and Mike, you know, if you look at the police force, for example, they are not permitted to strike because they deal with a lot of life and death issues. Mm -hmm. No question of that. Well, so do to do paramedics. And we have to ask ourselves, surely it's time to stop them going on strike because they are responding to the most critical, the most terrifying moments uh, that sadly, you know, people have to face on a day to day mm. basis. And I think it is right that the government look at this and deal with this because we should not be held to ransom. I think also what sticks in the throat when I'm hearing people defend these strikes, saying they have no choice is utter garbage. Everyone who goes on strikes has a choice. They may feel that they're not being listened to. They may feel that they deserve better pay, better conditions but it is ultimately their choice to go on strike. And it is that choice that they are making that is putting lives at risk. It's no use looking elsewhere to lay the blame. No, there really isn't. And it's ridiculous also to blame the government because, let's face it, that situation that we saw uh, in North Wales, and I highlighted it earlier with this 93-year-old woman um, who's basically got you know, very, very little time left on this earth, but who's having to spend hours and hours and hours lying on the floor of a care home because she can't be moved because the ambulance service couldn't get to her. Now, so we already know the ambulance service is in a bad place. What I'd like to say, Nick, is that these people who work in the NHS, surely they should have been alerting 
the authorities, the management, to all of the problems that they had for a much longer time than suddenly coming out on strike and saying, oh, it's all about the patients. It clearly isn't. Well, Mike, uh, just picking up on, on the theme there, that, that people will die today, uh, sadly, as a result of what's happened. I'm convinced of that. But it's also right when you hear people say, well, people have died because of inadequacies in the system up to now. We, we, this is not new, the difficulties ambulance um, crews are facing. It's not new that they've been stuck outside hospitals. It's not new we've got 13,000 people in hospital who should be discharged and cannot be discharged. So yes, what have the management been doing? Unfortunately, the culture is always, let's blame the government for everything. Let's get the government to sort things out. Well, the reason we pay chief executives over £200,000 a year and more mm. is to actually lead and run organizations efficiently and i'm afraid you know i get deeply frustrated when they'll just say we don't have enough money well you do have mm. plenty of money everyone knows how much has been poured into uh, uh, the nhs and, and other organizations we are right as you say to look at management i mean think about the timing of 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 what is happening over this period mike you could not choose a more life-threatening time period to hold strikes in than what we are going mm. through now in the winter. Coming out, of course, of resources that, and staff that have been hugely pressurised during the, um, the, the COVID build-up. Yet despite that, compared to 2019, the NHS currently has about 8% more nurses, 9% more consultants, and 15% more, um, uh, more junior mm. doctors. Uh, people are trying to fix a system that I think, frankly, as it stands, is pretty unfixable. But things are, uh, uh, you know, that is a better position uh, than you would believe it is when you hear from people on the front line. And yet now, as, as some progress is being made in recruitment, as some progress is being made in, in keeping people working in the health service, they go out on strike and jeopardise the progress and people's lives. Exactly right. And let's face it, and we'll find out for sure from our paramedic that we speak to uh, coming up later in the show, you know, the pay for paramedics is not bad at all. Uh, the pay for nurses is also not bad. I've always been at pains to point out that when they do tell us that, well, you know, it's all very well saying the average pay is 27000 to start uh, as a nurse, but that's actually, you know, not really uh, enough to live on. Well, an awful lot of nurses work overtime. They get extra money for that. A lot of them work weekends. They get extra for that. They work bank holidays they get extra for that they also get um, allowances for working what they call unsociable hours they also get all kinds of discounts in various uh, different places to buy things you know the, the, the lot of a nurse and the lot of a paramedic uh, is a lot better than many other people working in this country well, and of course my, the lefties will say well you know that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be seeking to get more money I don't have a problem with that but you should not be putting people's lives at risk as a result of that there's a lot of people who would like to earn more money. And just to bring some uh, ba balance to, 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 to the reality, yes, we do hear about the low pay that nurses are on, but a five-year experienced nurse on a band five will be pulling about 35000 essentially uh, as part of the basic contract before anything else. Mm. Now, look, you're not going to get rich and go flying off to the Bahamas uh, on that, but that is well in line with average... Um, incomes in this country. Where I do think there is work to be done is at the low levels of entry. I think we can actually look carefully at some of the low starting salaries right across the professions. At, at paramedics, well, as we know, uh, average salaries are around £45,000. You know, I think they deserve every penny of yeah. that. But what you don't think is people should be coming to the table when the real thing that's going to decimate 
any pay rise they get now, um, should the government give in, would be inflation. Quite frankly, with the rates of inflation, unless we get that under control, any value they've gained from a pay rise now will literally disappear before Sharon Graham and her cohorts can say all out, comrades. Yes, but can also we please stop this ridiculous narrative that emanates from people like Pat Cullen from the Royal College of Nursing, that nurses are on the breadline, that they can't afford to feed their families, that they are so hungry when they leave work that they're kind of literally eating scraps off the street. I mean, you know, one look at the front page of The Guardian today will tell you that it doesn't look like there's anybody undernourished in that picture on the front line of the pickets. You know, the point is to me, just be honest. You know, tell us that you need more money, but don't make out that people are actually destitute because it's a lie. I, I look, I, the hyperbole that you get around these situations is very, very frustrating because most people listening would like some facts. The facts you and I have been talking mm. about. Entry salary for a nurse is 26,000. Sure, that's not fantastic. And I can say in parts of the southeast and London, that is going to be yeah, tough. But it's People also higher, Nick, but it's to. also higher, Nick, than any other starting salary for any other graduate in any other business. Well, the point, the point being, it's also a choice. We understand that. But if we want to try and deal with the problem, OK, I'd rather look at the low end entry level salaries than have us believe people on 35,000, 45,000 pounds a year before, as you say, any of the sort of overtime issues that kick in. They're all leaving the NHS after work and going to a food bank. This hyperbole does nothing mm. to advance the debate or get some sense in it. And in, in, in many ways now, I think uh, the, the, the argument that the pressure that is piling on until now until Christmas, uh, I don't see the government moving from their position that they're, they're not going to intervene in pay. They've made that clear at the moment. I have to say, though, that people are becoming so entrenched, not least because of this hyperbole and exaggeration that's going on. Mm. We're in effectively a stalemate. And I do fear that what we're going to see is going to carry on for at least another month, a critical month of January. More lives will be put at risk. More lives will be lost. And bafflingly, Mike, when it comes to nurses in the NHS, the public seem to endorse this. I well, find that rather strange. Well, we'll talk some more about that when we come back. When we come back as well, Nick Dubois is with us. Uh, we're going to be having a look over at the uh, Parliamentary Committee at the House of Lords, where Suella Braverman is currently speaking to a committee um, about the migrant problem. We'll come back to that. We'll have more from Nick Dubois. This is Talk TV. More after this. Talk Radio. They can take away your opinion. They can't take away your freedom of speech. 100% more. Talk Radio, the home of common sense. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Open discussion, healthy debate. Watch online at talk.tv. Listen live on DAB+. Ask your smart speaker to play Talk TV. And get access to exclusive content by downloading the Talk TV mobile app. Available for free now from the App Store and Google Play. This is the home of common sense. Talk Radio and Talk TV. The home of common sense. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the home of common sense. Welcome back to the place where you get the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, unvarnished uh, as it should be. And we're talking to Nick Dubois, CBE, former Conservative MP. Uh, Jackie uh, says that is the best monologue you've ever done. You articulated exactly what right-minded people are thinking. Uh, and we're going to talk a bit about that because an awful lot of right-minded people, forget about the polls, are not in favour of these NHS strikes and even fewer are in favour of the rail strikes. But let's have a look before we go back to Nick. Suella Braverman is speaking to a parliamentary committee 
Committee uh, about the migrant situation, particularly that boat that sank in the Channel. Let's have a listen. Here at the Home Office is that we have very different practices. Uh, if you look at different, you know, asy our asylum caseworking team do a, do a great job, but their productivity, frankly, is too low. The average decision-making rate of a decision-maker per week is one. And uh, we need to increase that considerably. But if you look at other um, teams who are processing applications by people who want to come or be in this country, the decision-making rate is considerably higher. Um, so there is a lot of variation within our decision-making processes as a whole, a whole. And I've been trying to uh, look at what we have already in place with other visa routes where we have digitised the application yeah. processing using our Access UK customer portal and our Atlas casework system. We need to develop and we want to develop new technology to build on recent improvements such as digital interviewing. We want to move away from a paper-based system. We are developing digital tools to support case working. So, uh, for example, appointment booking, case prioritization, allocation tools, a document exchange portal. Uh, we want to improve screening so that more information is captured as early as possible. And we've introduced an accelerated decision-making procedure, for example, including shorter interview interviews, fewer interviews, and decision templates. So, there, you know, there, there are points in the process where we can streamline, we can make our country uh, the guidance that caseworkers use, we can make that uh, easier to use, we can make it shorter, we can, as I say, reduce the number of interviews, shorten the length of the interviews, digitise the interviews that are necessary. What's essential is that every case is determined on its own merits. Uh, let me be clear and unequivocal about that. But we can definitely do better than one decision maker, um, one decision per decision maker per week. So we Bravman they're talking to uh, a Lords Committee about the new improved systems they're hoping to put in at the Home Office to see whether they can tackle the migrant crisis uh, any better. Nick, uh, I'm sure we'll talk about the migrants another day, but, but for today, let's stick with what you were saying just before we broke there about the way that people are supporting the nurses. And I know that there will be people out there who are, people who are supporting the nurses' strike. But the longer these things go on, and the nursing unions have now said they'll go into more striking, uh, as you say, into the new year. There'll be longer strikes, there'll be two-day strikes. You know, people's patience will be wearing very thin. We've seen already that the militants on the railways are losing support. Um, there's a new poll out, YouGov poll, saying more people now oppose the rail strikes than actually back them. So I think the government, as much as I don't like giving them any credit at the moment, um, if they hang in there, they may well find that time uh, is on their side. I think, uh, uh, to be clear, I was talking about the support for the nurses' yeah. strikes and possibly the paramedic strikes, and I agree with you on all other factors, yeah. particularly Mick, Mick Lynch and his, 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 his crew. I think that the public support is clearly waning there, and you can see that evident in the pressure showing even in Mick Lynch's public images. When it comes to the, um, the nurses, look, uh, Mike, I've for a long time believed that uh, the relationship between the public and the NHS... Uh, has been um, uh, absurdly um, uh, almost uh, religious fervour. Mm. Post-COVID, uh, despite some Herculean efforts by individuals, I think the mood and, is, and attitude is different now. I think yeah. people are recognising that whilst we may have the best access to healthcare in the world, the real brutal truth of it is we have some of the worst outcomes mm. in the world when comparing with um, uh, similar, similar nations as such as ourselves. 
People are no longer prepared, I think, to believe that everything that goes on in the NHS is perfect. Mm. So the time is right to challenge old practices. It is the time is right to actually say, you know, stop. What we're doing is not in the interests of the people who the NHS is meant to serve. Mm. Let's look at Holland. Let's look at other countries, for example, where they have just as good access to systems, but they are prepared to challenge the holy grail that was once articulated by every politician as the envy of the world, when clearly the NHS is not the envy of the world. Yeah, exactly right. The problem as well is that, the, you know, I think the, the disingenuity of the union leaders is not helping the cause of the individual nurses, you know, because what is very clear uh, is that actually the two nursing strikes that have happened so far have not actually crippled the service because the service is already crippled. You know, I was talking to somebody about it last night uh, and they said, oh, but loads of operations were cancelled. I'm like, well, yeah, that happens every day. People get can- cancelled operations every single day. But what I'm saying is, is that if they are so short of staff that they actually can have a strike and it doesn't make any difference, then can they really be that short of staff? There are an awful lot of shibboleths being uh, sort of promoted and being sold to the public uh, for sympathy by these union leaders. And I think they've got to stop lying. Well, I think they've also got to start looking at where the staff deployed. We, you know, I, I, people say, oh, you, this is a glib thing that's thrown around. Well, the brutal reality is getting on for half of those in the NHS uh, uh, are supporting the front line, not actually on the front line. You have to ask, is the balance of staff in a, uh, uh, that, that's meant to, uh, is that right in the NHS? And, you know, where you see the failure come through, Mike, is not just in these headline ridiculous appointments of 120,000 here for for diversity leaders and all that sort of nonsense, which should just not be the priorities of the NHS now. What what actually is really telling is that, um, for example, uh, only 60 percent of people who should be seen by a cancer um, uh, by an oncology team within two months to have their treatment started. We are so well below our own targets down at 60 percent. That is life threatening. That is life changing. That is why the NHS and I include the union leaders here who should look beyond the end of their own pay packets and actually realize that this is a national crisis. They should be part of the solution, not making it worse by their uh, frankly dogged uh, um, determination to bring down this government and hold the country to ransom at a time when we are at our most vulnerable. Exactly right. Nick, very well said. Nick Dubois, CBE, former Conservative MP, uh, with his verdict on the nurses' strike and on the paramedic strike in particular, which is going on now. How on earth can you countenance actually putting people's lives at risk, causing the deaths of patients who simply want to be transported to hospital because you want more money? Absolutely unbelievable. This is Talk TV. Edgy talk, plain talk, unrivaled talk. Mike Graham, the only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Online, on DAB+, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the independent republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV on a very very shameful day for Great Britain, I'm afraid. Uh, I have to bring you the very sad news uh, that we are now in the grip of a union strike which is catapulting people uh, into health danger. The unions in this country are trying to grip the nation as they once did in the 1970s when they dictated policy to various governments. Ted Heath's government, the Tory government, fell as a result of trade union power. Jim Callaghan's government 
fell as a result of trade union power in the 1970s. It was only when Margaret Thatcher came back into the fray in 1979 to win for the first time uh, a Tory prime ministerial role that things started to take a turn for the better. And I'm talking about in this country for the better. Because who wants to live in a country where trade unions can dictate whether or not you can get on a train? where trade unions dictate whether or not you can get into hospital, where trade unions decide whether you can get an ambulance if you have a heart attack or if something terrible happens to a member of your family. Why on earth should we be held to ransom by these goons? Because that, ladies and gentlemen, is what they are. There are nurses on picket lines. Uh, yesterday was their second day out. Today, there are paramedics who are supposed to be driving ambulances to save people's lives. They're not doing it. Why? Because they want to have more money. It's not about different conditions. It's not about pay. They say uh, it's about looking after the patients. But no, it isn't. It's pure and simple about pay. And we're going to be speaking to a paramedic coming up very shortly. But let me just tell you why you should care about where we are right now in this country. And the lady's name in question is Mrs. Davis. Mrs. Elizabeth Davis. She's from North Wales, a little place called Llanbedrog. This woman had a fall. She's in a care home already. Uh, She's 93 years of age, right? Pray this is not your mum today, is the headline in the Sun newspaper this morning. Because just have a look at this picture and wonder what this poor woman must be going through. Wonder what this poor woman must be feeling. Wonder whether she wonders herself whether she will ever see any members of her family. She fell and broke her hip on Saturday afternoon. It was 25 hours before an ambulance came to take her to hospital. She could not be moved. She had to lie there, prostrate, absolutely, you know embarrassed, humiliated, in pain, and nobody from this National Health Service could help her. Not one person, no paramedic, no nurse, no doctor. Mrs Davis, there she is, 25 hours, lying there on the floor of the care home in which she lives. It didn't get any better after she got in the ambulance, because by Sunday afternoon, Because, of course, we know an awful lot of people in the NHS don't work at the weekends. There was no space for her inside the hospital. She had to wait for another eight to nine hours before she could actually get a bed. So poor Mrs Davis, somebody's mother, somebody's grandmother, 25 hours for an ambulance, a further nine hours before she got into a hospital bed, 34 hours. That's nearly a day and a half waiting to be given some form of treatment waiting for all the pain to go away, waiting for some respite. This country is supposed to be one of the great countries of the world. It's supposed to be one of the top six economies in the world. We are supposed to be able to handle adversity. We're supposed to be able to treat people properly, with dignity. We're supposed to have a health service that is the envy of the world. Well, quite frankly, it's a disgrace. And many of the people who are currently on strike are also a disgrace and you should be ashamed of yourselves and if you have any sort of heart, if you have any sort of compassion, then how on earth can you allow people like Mrs Davis to have to go through what she went through this past weekend? The NHS is knackered and it's only the fault of the people in it. It's as simple as that. Please do not tell me there isn't enough money. Please do not tell me the Tories are trying to privatise it. Just do your job, get back to work and help the sick. That's what you're meant to do. Okay? 
Let's talk to Paul Lasser, who's been a paramedic for 22 years. Paul spoke to us the other day. He rang in because he was so incensed about what was going on that he wanted to tell us some information that we didn't have about pay structures, about the way the business runs. But Paul has been a loyal servant of the NHS for more than two decades, and now he's had enough. Paul, a very good morning to you. Hello, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thanks very much indeed for uh, agreeing to talk to us today, because we spoke the other day and you were so informative with, with, with the information that you had, because I've, ke- I've continued to say that in this particular dispute, there's an awful lot of kind of untruths being peddled, probably by both sides, but, but for me, mostly from the side of, the, uh, uh, of, the, of the, the, the Royal College of Nursing and maybe even the Unite Union. Um, tell us your story. Tell us why you now no longer wish to be a paramedic. Well, I don't not, not wish to be a paramedic. Uh, I'll just say that I, at the moment, I, I, I'm not striking because uh, it doesn't sit right with me. Mm. And I understand why people do, are striking because it's their it's their opinion and they feel they need a voice to be heard because I've worked in a service for a long time and I've seen a lot of changes, some for the better, some for the worse. Um, like you had that lady on earlier on, it's an absolute disgrace that that lady's had to work 25 hours. It's an absolute disgrace. But that has been going on for 10, 15 years. Mm. I, I go to patients that when we're really busy, they do wait a very long time for us to arrive and I'm apologising when I'm coming through the door. It's not my fault. I've done job after job. I've turned around as quick as I can at the hospital. And so I, I, I've done the best that I can, but sometimes it's just beyond what I can do. There's too many calls. Mm. And other people, public do have to take, because we do go to a lot of in, inappropriate calls as well. So public have to take responsibility as well as us. We have to work harder but the public have to take responsibility mm. as well. Yeah. They need to think when they need to phone an ambulance because if you're, say, a 25-year-old and you've had a bit of chest pain for 10 minutes, you shouldn't really be phoning an ambulance. You've got to be thinking a lady could be on the floor who's 93, yeah. could be needing us, but because they've got chest pain, they go up the priority level. Right. So they would be seen first before that lady. But, is isn't, that, but isn't that a fault, though, um in a way, Paul, of the system, the filtering system, because surely... It's the the triage system. It's so... You try and think how you can... The triage system is one system for the whole country. Mm. So it has to go through rigorous tests and things like that. But it's only as good as what the people tell you over the phone. Yeah. And you've got to think some people do actually say they've got chest pain when they haven't got chest pain Mm. because they know how the system works and they can move up that ladder to get an ambulance quicker than somebody else. We all have to look after each other, don't we? Like the private sector has to look after the public sector and the public sector has to look after the private sector. There's no point in us all arguing anymore. We need to come together and come up with a solution. Yes, that, and I'm, I'm, very much, I'm very much in that place. You know, I would like to find a solution to all the things that are wrong with the NHS. Uh, and I think the problem that we've had in the past uh, is that the unions and the management have never really looked upon um, a joint solution at all. Because, for example, you will know as well as I do, there's an awful lot of jobs in the NHS that don't need to be done. There's an awful lot of people being paid a very large amount of money uh, for things that don't, really are not really required at all. I've just been looking at some figures for the number of um, people who are paid to translate translation services, millions and millions of pounds for translation services. You know, you know, there's an awful lot of money that could be redirected to nurses and to paramedics and maybe even to junior doctors 
to make sure that they make more money. But let's talk yeah, the, a little... front, the front line needs more. The front line does need more money. I, I am I've I've been fed up for years going to patients that have been waiting hours for us, and it's it's unfair on those. It's a bit of a lottery sometimes. To be honest, it's a lottery to sometimes how long you wait. Uh, to be honest, when it was COVID in the first wave, we were not as busy because people did think about going to A and E. They thought, do do I really need to go? And they didn't want to go to A and E, did they? Because they didn't know what COVID was at that time. No one really knew hmm. what it was. So, to be honest, we were quieter than what we were before COVID in that first wave. So we had time in between jobs, maybe to do a bit of research about something. And and the hospitals weren't as busy. The A and E departments, obviously, there were very poorly people there, but there weren't the the run of the mill people who maybe needed to go to see that would see a GP, but they couldn't get to see a GP. So mm. We went to A and E instead. So and also obviously the roads were a lot quieter. So we lose a lot of time, don't we? Yeah. Busy roads. I can't imagine what it'd be like to be a paramedic in in London. Like you well, take your patient. It's an absolute you nightmare. Well, I mean, part of the problem, part of the problem in London as well, Paul, is that you've got all these cycle lanes, so you can't even get down the road. You can't. The cars can't move out of the way for you, and and you haven't got anywhere to go. But let's talk about what the paramedic strike is all about, because I, I'm under the impression, and because of some of the things you said about the pay scales and the amount of money you can make, you know, the money for being a paramedic is not bad. I'm not saying, yeah, not that, I'm not not saying that, that you can't, obviously everybody would like a pay rise, but what specifically are they striking about? I think it's more, it's the conditions, and it's, it's, it's soul-destroying when you go to patients that, like that lady earlier on, it is soul-destroying because you feel... You feel like what, what, something needs to change. Mm. Like, this lady shouldn't be waiting this long. Like for a necrophema patient, what's supposed to happen is we go to that patient, and I'm supposed to pre-alert the hospital because right. it's a, it's quite a serious serious fracture right. of uh, a necrophema. So I'm supposed to pre-alert the hospital and then go with my blue lights all the way to hospital, and right. someone should be waiting for us. Yeah. But then obviously the triage system leaves them for 25 hours, so it negates negates all that really right, right so when you reach somebody who's been lying on a floor like that for 25 hours presumably they've got other problems that that you weren't aware yeah, of it's, when the first you, call was made yeah it's something called like a long lie so mm. if they've been over a certain amount of hours and they're elderly and they're immobile it can affect the kidneys it yeah. can affect other things so it causes other problems they can get awful pressure sores that all increases their mm. stay in hospital yeah so when you leave people it it has an effect of they're in hospital longer. Right. Which, and which I, appreciate, I mean, I appreciate you're not striking, so maybe you're not the best person to ask. So so what is it that this strike can achieve then? What is it that they want it to achieve? Because it sounds to me, to a large extent, that it's an, an awful lot of it's about money. Well, it is. You've got to remember that not everyone in the ambulance service is is a paramedic. We There's varying levels of um, skills mm. And obviously, there's people on band six and there's people on band three. Probably the people on band three aren't earning, they're not earning what I earn, but obviously, I have got the, the additional skills and, and have the extra pressures and uh, the responsibility. But they, you know, if they're, if they're a single parent with a couple of kids, I think they're probably quite struggling. Hmm. But your problem is, if you give them pay rises, they have to give the paramedics pay rises because you have to have a gap between the two two skill levels, mm. otherwise paramedics might just think, well, why should I have mm. all this pressure 
uh, responsibility when I can work at a lower level and not have that sure. responsibility and pressure. But what I'm saying, I suppose, is that if they were to be given more money, how would that ease the, 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 the problem? How would well, that it, make it easier for well, people it to get more people? might attract more people to the service and we've got more more staff and more resilience. Unfortunately, the ambulance service has run for a long time on sort of 98, 99% capacity mm. all the time. Ten years ago, we were, we were still short-staffed. They were throwing money at you to do overtime mm. ten years ago because they were so short-staffed yeah. because they needed to fill those shifts. So it's, 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 it's good that it's in the fore now that people are seeing how, how we are struggling. We've been struggling for 10 years. There's no, it's it's not a new thing. Mm. And people have been waiting hours for ambulances for years and years. But whose fault is it then that that hasn't been sorted out? In 10 years, not one management person has solved that problem. How is that it's, possible? It, it's a very, it's a complex, it's a very complex issue. Obviously, um, we've got, some hospitals have been closed by stealth because obviously some hospitals no longer take resource patients and they only take minor injuries. The hospital's still there, the building's still there and everything, but the hospital does not accept all types of patients. Mm. So then basically everyone is... So if I go to a patient, I could probably do the job and take it to the nearest hospital 10 years ago and the job might have taken an hour, but now it's taking two, two, three hours because I have to go to an hospital miles away. So mm. therefore, I I do less jobs a day than what I used to do. I think for when I first started, I bet I could do 10, 10 see 10 patients a shift. Yeah. And now you're lucky to, to see four to six patients a shift because of the distance you travel and the amount of time you're waiting at hospitals. Mm. And also we have to do more things now. So yeah. it's not as... it's. It's a complex issue, and then obviously the public have to take responsibility. You have to really think we're an emergency service. Although technically the government, we never really, we're not actually officially the emergency service, the ambulance service. There's been petitions in the past to yeah. become an emergency service, like the police and the fire, and being under home and then, office. And then room. you wouldn't be able to strike. Listen, I yeah. mean, I could talk to you for a lot longer, but we've got to run, I'm afraid. But listen, Paul, it's been really helpful. Thank you so much for talking to us. We might come back to you soon uh, because this strike, I'm sure, will not lead to any sort of settlement because from what Paul says, uh, there's such a complex issue here that nobody can solve it anyway, which seems incredible, doesn't it? Absolutely unbelievable. Certainly this strike will do nothing to solve it and will do everything to put people's lives in danger. Therefore, it shouldn't be happening, should it? This is Talk TV. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Paul from Stafford just says this, Mike, these strikes... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss. It's a political as an ex-miner, then working in manufacturing and also being in a union all my life. The only time I was on strike was when I didn't know better and was led into a political fight by Arthur Scargill. Just like the public sector union members, we need ACAS to get involved because it's not just about money. And do you remember ACAS, Mike? I do remember ACAS, actually. I remember uh, there used to be those long nights of the sort of uh, uh, the cups of tea uh, and the biscuits and they would all pile in uh, to an office not far away, I think, from Buckingham Palace. It used to be around the back of Victoria and they used to all go in there and sit for hours in smoke-filled rooms and hammer out some kind of compromise and that was how business was done in the industrial age but of course now it isn't done like that now it's all done on twitter now it's all done on television now it's all done by people like mick the grinch lynch uh, threatening to do this that and the other and talking about not sitting down with people even though they've only just sat down with them the nurses keep saying uh, we just need to get them around the table well they keep getting them around the table and they just keep not getting anything out of it so the problem seems to me uh, that there are people now who don't actually know how to negotiate these kind of labor union disputes because nobody seems to want to actually end it But let's talk about something slightly different right now, uh, because I'm happy to say Chief Operating Officer and Energy Analyst at the Institute of Economic Affairs, Andy Mayer, is here. Andy, nice to see you again. Um, Incredibly, while we are actually thankfully out of the cold snap, so we probably don't need as much heating as we would have otherwise done, uh, incredibly, it seems, the government is hell-bent on putting more regulation on the energy markets rather than actually freeing them up to make it a bit cheaper for everyone. Yeah, so the government has been behaving as though nothing has changed in the last two years. Mm. And what we've seen in the midst of this energy crisis is they put windfall taxes on the North Sea, they've introduced new regulations like the climate compatibility checklist, and they put a moratorium on onshore fracking. And what I picked up on this week was that the regulator for the North Sea, which goes by the name of the North Sea Transition Authority, mm. um, has been fining companies for, quote, producing too much oil and gas. Oh dear. Which obviously is Isn't not that what something... they're meant to do? Well, it, to be fair to the regulator, they are doing their job. No, they're not sort of going out on a limb and inventing their own rules. They're just implementing what virtue signalling ministers yes. over the years have decided they should do. Right. And the thinking, thinking behind all this is that the future of the North Sea is probably in things like renewable energy, hydrogen, carbon capture and storage. And the government would very much like us to believe that they can do a 30-year plan to transition from where we are now, which is big oil and gas platforms pumping out various things that we need to keep us warm, mm. to that new place. The trouble is we know they can't. They're hopeless at planning almost anything, as we're right. seeing this week. And what's happening instead is they're just driving companies and investment away by engaging in silly micro-nannying regulations like the ones they've just done on venting and flaring. Yes, because presumably if you are uh, exploring the North Sea for oil and gas, then oil and gas is kind of what you're looking for. And when you find it, uh, that's what you're going to take out of the ground. I mean, why would you be looking for renewables in an oil and gas field? Well, they're not precisely the same thing. Um, This is more about the way that they regulate the things that are already there and what that means about whether or not we're going to extract more of our own oil wealth in order to fund those things Mm. like the future renewables that we then think we need when they're a lot cheaper. Yes. But they're not doing that. They're just enforcing these very hard-line rules to hit arbitrary targets they themselves have set, which in turn means that even companies like Equinor, who are the Norwegian state oil company, Mm. no, pretty woke company themselves, are thinking about pulling out of the North Sea. 
because why bother investing in a regime where the tax rates keep changing, the regulations are mad, and the government doesn't seem to have a clue what it's doing? Yeah. And that is the consistent signal that's been sent by the government over the last two to three years. And frankly, for the 20 years before that, when they kept changing their mind about what they wanted. Right. And presumably, if you are exploring for oil and gas, these regulations are supposed to limit what you can get out of the ground at any one time. Is that the point? That's part of it. It's also about regulating your emissions of methane, natural right. gas, and also uh, flaring that methane, which produces carbon dioxide, mm. both greenhouse gases. So what they've tried to do is create a regime where it's okay to vent a certain amount, in the case of one of the companies, about 14,500 tonnes. Mm. But anything above that, you get a massive fine. It's an arbitrary fine. The regulation just invents what it thinks you should be fined with, mm. which in one case was £150,000. So not chump change. And where now, does that money go? Well, that money goes back in to fund the regulator. And to be Isn't fair, that for, marvellous? Well, it's marvellous. Yeah, it's so, a so self-fulfilling <laughs> business. It's a bit like... Um, a bit like sort of the protection rackets in Chicago in the 1930s, isn't it? Well, to be fair, they do pay some of the money back if they've overcharged in the year. So oh, that's good. Th £32 million last year, of which they paid £4 million back, most of which was a levy So on they the kept industry. the £28 million. Well, it's, it's like you, the companies have to pay to be beaten up by the yeah. regulator. But that's an awful lot of money for back. a regulator to have, isn't it? What are they doing with it? Well, there's 185 staff and, uh, you know, their own emissions, for example, Why? are remarkably equivalent to See, those this, by the companies. This baffles me about this country, that we have these organisations that nobody has anything about Nobody's ever elected them. They don't seem to be answerable to anybody. Um, the regulator in the oil business seems to be um, making a very, very hefty profit. Thanks very much indeed. You know, even if they've got 150 people working for them, God knows what they do. And why do they need 28 million? Well, in normal times before their travel all got shut down, they were flying around to climate conferences and yeah, between the rigs to lecture people about. But all this the is all that public money they're wasting, isn't it? Well. That's what the government has said that the public wants, but it's perfectly clear in well, energy that the well, government no, has no don't. clue what the no, public wants. No, they don't know what the public wants, and certainly the public do not want to see that kind of money being wasted uh, on a bunch of um, sort of you know suits flying around the world looking at nice things that they think we should be doing. Well, to be fair, Mike, the press release they put out just before that one was highlighting the ESG goals of the industry. So oh, yeah. you know, it may, may, maybe what the public wants is to know how these companies are doing and their gender gap, yes. pay gap reporting Well, no, ratios. again, I think that's probably low on the priority. I think people would rather have some energy that they could afford mm. uh, to actually heat their homes and maybe get some nice hot water for a bath. Yeah, I mean, the, this is... Call the me old-fashioned. Yeah. I mean, we've... In a, we're in a situation where the government has been on a mission to tackle climate change yeah. for 20 years. And in the process, it's forgotten about goals like security of supply, mm. making sure the lights don't go out and we can afford to heat our homes, mm. and affordability. Yeah. And this is the result we get. We get these funny little regulators doing completely pointless things of no meaningful benefit mm. at great cost. Yeah. And this report, for example, took a year to come out. So various staff have been whittling away in the background before that fine was yeah. issued. Now, if you're an investor, you're not going to look at that and think, I want to come to the UK. You're going to think, I should go to another mm. regime, which may have lower standards, which yes. means ultimately they're also defeating the climate goal mm. because these emissions are being offshored. Right. And what about any kind of other fines that have been issued and handed out to people who are trying to do anything other than um, what it is that they approve of, which is presumably you know, onshore wind and offshore wind and uh, wave power? Um, I couldn't speak to any fines issued against the offshore wind industry, but they would presumably come across the same health and safety regulations as any other industry. Mm. And if they make mistakes in their deployment, which I think is pretty rare in that industry, yeah. to be fair, then they would get fined. And what about the supposed new uh, sort of imperative from Rishi Sunak that we will actually go after getting more oil and gas out of the ground in um, or out of the sea, uh, in the North Sea? Is that actually going to happen? No. <laughs> I mean... 
the way to do that is to keep a very sensible and low level of proportionate regulation consistent mm. over time. The Norwegians have higher taxes than we do, but they've also kept Hard them stable. It, well, 78%. Yeah. They've also kept them stable for about 30 years, mm. which means companies know what they're getting with that regime. They know that if they invest in Norway, the money coming out of their operations will be going into the Norwegian social fund and then funding things that the Norwegians want. And that's the deal. Uh, the UK has swung between low taxes, high taxes, yeah. low regulation, high regulation, and has ended up with a completely incoherent picture where you just can't trust the government. And what they urgently need to do is sit down with the opposition and mm. decide what they're going to do about this regime going forward. Because at the moment, it's mad, it's tinkering, it's driving people away, and an increasing number of companies are saying, we are not interested anymore. Yeah. And why would they be? I can't imagine why they would. You're absolutely right. Andy Mayer, thank you very much indeed. Chief Operating Officer and Energy Analyst at the Institute of Economic Affairs. It sounds like a right old uh, stitch-up, doesn't it? Isn't it brilliant? Set up a regulator, go after people, find them, keep the money, give them a little bit back, uh, carry on. That's the way it goes in this country, isn't it? Marvellous. Fantastic. Uh, but there's no money in the NHS, apparently. Well, there is. It's just in the wrong bit of it. Not hard, this, is it? It's Talk TV. Fast Talk. Street Talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk. Hot Talk. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Online. On DAB+. Plus, talk Radio and Talk TV. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. There's quite a lot going on today and not least, of course, the paramedic strike, uh, which is hitting the entire nation of England. Uh, hasn't happened in Scotland as far as I'm aware uh, and it's not happening in Northern Ireland either. Uh, but there is a bit of a backlog going on uh, with ambulances anyway, because we told you the story earlier this hour, or last hour, I should say, of the 93-year-old Mrs Davis who was left lying on the floor of her own care home for 25 hours before an ambulance actually got to her. And that was when they weren't on strike. So God knows what it's like now that they actually are on strike. Leo says this. Hi, Mike. I must confess that having suffered dreadful and awe-inspiring care, uh, in inverted commas, in the wretched NHS for many years, I'm very pleased that those reckless individuals are withdrawing their labour. At long last, they have shown that they don't give a damn about people's suffering. They have metaphorically shot themselves in the foot. And the government can now go ahead and get rid of the white elephant that is the NHS. Yeah, I mean, these people in the the unions complain consistently and constantly that the Tories are trying to sell it off. Well, bizarrely and rather controversially, and perhaps ironically, one of the things that might happen as a result of these strikes is that the NHS might in fact get broken up, it might get pared down, it might get sold off, and it might actually end up being a lot more efficient than it currently is. And I, for one, would not be sorry to see that happening. To be honest, loads of bits of it have been sold off anyway, and so many people who work in it also work for the private sector that it's sort of ridiculous that they complain it's down to the evil Tories who want to dismantle it all and give it away to Donald Trump. Absolutely and utterly ridiculous. We're going to talk to Jamie Jenkins, former head of health analysis at the ONS, to tell us what he's picking up at the moment from the statistics scheme being given out by the trade unions. But also, uh, he's going to be telling us a bit about uh, the state of our national debt too. But before we do that, I've discovered a new um, method of describing getting rid of trains. And this, I think, you will enjoy. Uh, it comes from a fairly small section of the railway, uh, somewhere up in the Lake District of this country of ours. And apparently, uh, they're having some trouble running trains because they say uh, there's a significant issue with our rostering systems. 
which presumably means too many people have taken the day off. As you might be aware, they say, today we are experiencing a high level of unplanned cancellations. So here's the bit that really intrigues me, right? We are acutely aware of the impact this will have on our customers and sincerely apologise for the disruption that this will cause to journeys today. And then they say, and this is my favourite part of all, unless this issue is fixed during today, we will pre-cancel trains for tomorrow. Pre-cancel. Now, I've heard of pre-boarding, which is actually boarding on planes. You know, when they say, we will now pre-board people. Well, no, you're actually boarding them. You're calling it pre-board. It's not pre-board. What is pre-cancelling? We're going to pre-cancel trains for tomorrow, this evening, in order that they appear in advance in customer-facing information systems. So I think what they're saying is that they're going to start cancelling trains earlier than tomorrow because they don't think they're going to run. So let's just count. I mean, this is not an improvement to the service, guys. You're still not running a train, but you're just telling us about it a bit sooner. So you're saying, basically, there won't be any trains tomorrow. So that's called pre-cancelling. No, it isn't. It's called cancelling. You've just cancelled them. It's not pre-cancelled. You're not going to un-pre-cancel them, are you? You're not going to cancel them and then uncancel them. It's cancelled. Oh, blimey. They mangled the language so much now, these people. Let's talk to Jamie Jenkins and get some sense out of him. Jamie, a very good uh, afternoon to you. Yeah, good afternoon, Mike. I think um, when when the trains were on strike last week, uh, I, I normally go for a run lunchtime, and and the local train station, like an ice sheet, when the trains were running, right. they gritted the train uh, station the day of the strike. There's no trains there. No, so, absolute nonsense. Nothing's joined up at all. No, it is absolutely pathetic, isn't it? Um, we've got this ambulance strike going on today. I mean, clearly, ambulance service response times have been awful for quite a long time. We've been highlighting that story this morning of the woman in North Wales, Mrs. Davis, who waited 25 hours. Sadly, not an unusual situation, really. Uh, there's almost one or two of those stories a week now. But talking to our paramedic earlier, he basically said a lot of it is down to, uh, you know, poor dispatch, having hospitals further away from each other um, and just simply not having enough people. Is it really that or is it just bad management all round? Well, I, I think, you know, there is a lot of pressure on the system, Mike. I think, uh, you know, a, a fact that kind of the NHS themselves published, we take the seven days to the 11th of December, mm. there was over 29,000 hours lost to ambulances, stuck outside hospitals, not able to transfer patients in the hospital. So, mm. you know, that's 29,000 out of all the ambulances say, across the country, over 29,000 hours just sat outside. And, and one in six of the ambulances now, Mike, about 10,000 patients a day taken to the hospitals, but one in six of them and they're stuck outside for more than an hour, uh, it got another one in six between thirty minutes and sixty minutes. So, so all these ambulances are kind of rocking up, and it's kind of like just being in a big massive queue outside the hospital because yeah. of the bed. So, I have some sympathy uh, with what the paramedics are saying there. That you know, it's not just to do with poor management. It's pro, pro, It's basically all goes back, Mike, through the last 10, 20 years that the government hasn't sought out social care. So, when people kind of need dispatching from the hospital. The care is not there. But I think the important thing this morning, Mike, is that they're saying they're going to respond to these category one calls. And then it's the, the calls that are like two, three and four, which are less life threatening, is what they're saying they will probably have to deprioritize. But I was doing some numbers, Mike, and looking at the target of seven minutes that you've got to respond to a category one call. Yes. So these, you know, when you've got cardiac arrests and we haven't been hitting that target now since May 21. Yeah. You know, we've just been failing it. So it's a seven minute target. So if you... Thankfully, you don't know this afternoon, Mike. If you went out this afternoon, I had a cardiac arrest. You know, you've got a target to get to you within seven minutes. We haven't hit this since May 2021. And the latest numbers is nine minutes 26. And it's quite clear 
that even though they say they will respond to these calls, we're not in the target now before the strike. Mm. It's going to get worse. Yeah. And those seconds count, Mike. So I'm more concerned with this strike than I am with the nurses strike, because if you can't get to the person who's got a serious problem, that's diff different to say when you go to the hospital and you haven't got enough nurses around. Well, that's right. I mean, the thing is, if you've got nurses on strike in one hospital, but you've got an awful lot of nurses who are not on strike in loads of other hospitals, then that's not a problem. And also, it seems to me, Jamie, and I said this last night on Jeremy Carl's show, the actual strike itself that the nurses have undertaken, the two strikes they've done, don't appear to have hurt the NHS all that much, which tells me that they've got many people on the picket lines who are not actually frontline anyway. And also it tells you that they haven't got a shortage of staff on the wards. Otherwise, presumably there would be carnage. But there might be carnage today because people who genuinely need to get to a hospital won't be able to get there. Yeah, well, you think of the nurses' strike. What they're kind of there doing, Mike, is going to a kind of a bank holiday system. So yes. operations cancelled, but people who are most life-threatening calls, you know, those kind of things, they will get seen. But with the ambulance strike, you know, Generally, you normally hear, you know, ministers and health leaders over the Christmas period or the winter period saying, don't phone for an ambulance mm. unless it's an emergency. Well, you shouldn't be phoning for an ambulance well, unless exactly. it's an emergency anyway. So that, that kind of advice is just stating, you know, the, kind of the obvious. So yeah. but when the, the ambulances go on strike, you know, you can't reduce that because, as you've seen from the chart we had on the screen just now, you already are failing to hit these targets. People are dying. We've had these excess deaths mm. for over half a year now. And, I, you know, I'm a bit concerned with this one. They argue, you know, the pay offer of 4% is not high enough. I don't think from what I've read, they're, they're demanding the ambulance workers, they're not demanding these 19% pay rises. But I do have some sympathy, Mike, I suppose, because if you're a pensioner, you've been given a 10.1% increase. If you're on benefits, you've been given a 10.1% mm. increase. So is 4% too low? The government just needs to get their act together. They need to meet somewhere in the middle because, you know, ultimately you've got the government blaming the unions, the unions blaming the government and the public suffering for this and yes. it's just not right. and i get that but equally you know a percentage pay rise is worth more money obviously to somebody who's on more money so if you give say a lump sum to uh, the nurses that helps the people who are on less money if you give uh, the, the the uplift to pensioners and to benefit claimants then you know they do a bit better but they're still not making much money but if you're a paramedic and you're making what i would suggest to you is around about 40 50 thousand pounds a year four percent on that is not a bad amount of money you know and suddenly you're um uh, you're in a much better place than you were before you got it and i know that they're talking about representing other people other workers in the paramedic business who are not just paramedics and not well qualified and not well paid but equally you know the point is is that the the four percent is not out of the ballpark of actually acceptability is it well, private sector growth's around just over 6%, Mike. So I, I don't think you perhaps need to go as high as 10. I think the, the problem you do have, as I say, is the half the NHS budget goes on wages of about 46%. So if you cave into big pay demands, that means there's less money to recruit new people. There's less money to pay for the operations. So the government, what I have to do there is increase taxes. And we know we've already got a massive kind of government debt problem at the moment. And, and do we want to be borrowing more money to pay for that? So right. there does need to be some pragmatism, maybe meeting somewhere in the middle. But and then what we've seen the story this morning now, Mike, you know, nurses in Scotland have had, a, I think it's about seven and a half percent pay rise right. from the top of my head. Right. It's definitely more than the four percent. And now they've come out and rejected that. So even if you go somewhere in between four and 11 percent, the union clearly don't want to negotiate on these things and it's just carnage across the health system because of the unions demanding more and more and more right and it's not sustainable and as you pointed out today government borrowing
borrowing is at record levels, 22 billion in November, uh, which means we're paying interest on total debt of 7.3 billion pounds. I mean, it's not sustainable, is it? Well, no, the total government debt now, Mike, is 2.2 trillion pounds. You know, that, it, it can't even imagine to think how many notes you're going to stick on a on your spreadsheet no. to get to that amount of money. Um, I mean, you'll you know, never David you'll Cameron, never pay it back, will you? Well, we're never going to pay it back. People look at it as a t- percentage of GDP, but you know, if you start looking at it, all of this, Mike, a big factor in why we've got such high borrowing is in part because inflation has been going up, which means that the gilts that we've got, where people borrow money against, kind of index linked gilts. We're paying more money out on that. We've got obviously the cost of living payments going up. We've got the energy guarantee going up. You know, the, David Cameron came in in 2010, Mike, saying that the Conservative Party you're going to get a grip on public finances. <laughs> the last 12 years have been an absolute disaster. Yeah. I'm not saying the Labour Party would have done any better, but no, you know, you cannot shine a light on the government for the last 10 or 12 years and say they put us in a good position. Absolute mayor, Mike, and who's paying for it? You know, where's David Cameron? Well, that's the other thing that they never say, do they? The nurses, when they go, we need more money. It's like, well, where do you think it's coming from? The taxpayer, the people who pay the taxes to the government, who don't work for the public sector, who have already been squeezed until the pips squeak. You know, there's none left. I haven't got any more to give. And where have we gone, Mike? The highest tax burden for 70 years. Nicola Sturgeon in Scotland's putting up tax for, you know, income tax. If you live in Scotland, you're going to be paying more on your income tax. Mark Rayford in Wales has ruled that out. But yeah, the money needs to come from somewhere. And, and basically, you've got you know, 50, 60 years, Mike, of successive governments, nearly mostly every single year, borrowing more money than what we get in. The debt goes up and then the debt payments go up. And that's just dead money, hmm. Mike. That's basically borrowing, living without our means. And it's got to stop. It really does. Jamie, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. More great information from Jamie Jenkins there, our favourite statistician, uh, formerly head of health analysis at the ONS. Charles, stay with us. We're coming to you in a minute. Uh, We're going to take more of your calls, of course. Much else besides. Uh, Here's one from Carol in Birmingham. Hi, Mike. I worked for the NHS for 40 years in admin and can't believe what's happening to it. I agree with everything you say, but don't fancy your chances if you need to go to hospital. Good luck. Yeah, I don't fancy my chances either. Uh, The only chance you've got of getting into a hospital is driving yourself there, getting a taxi, maybe getting a train, if you can get one, uh, if they happen to be running. And if you do get there, you'll sit in A&E for quite a long time because, you know, clearly there isn't any room for you. And at the end of the day, uh, you might end up catching MRSA. So you'll leave actually more unhealthy than you were when you got there. Brilliant, isn't it? The envy of the world, the NHS. Step right up. This is Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. I'm delighted to say that we are now about to welcome a man, a legend man, a legendary figure uh, in the fruit and veg business, a legendary figure in London's uh, back sort of streets of the market business as well, Borough Market, the one and only Fred Foster from uh, uh, Fred Turnips is what I was introduced to you as before. Uh, you've just said to me, you just said, come on, this is a bit, gr- it's a bit grim out there today. So let's have a bit of the Christmas spirit. So, so welcome and thank you for saying that because actually somebody came on uh, just uh, recently on Twitter and said, you guys are looking a bit Grinch-like. You don't seem to have any Christmas decorations. Why don't we have any Christmas decorations, by the way? Is there any plans for that? Anybody? No? They're all shaking their heads. They don't know. Anyway, listen, welcome. Uh, here. We've, we've not actually had you in here before, have we? No, first time, but I think you've had my son here before. I've um, had your son here. We have Borough Market praises. over here quite a lot. 
Um, you're a remarkable man, and I say that with all sincerity because I met you for the first time. We've got a mutual friend called Roger, um, who funnily enough texted me this morning. He said, I hear he's coming in. I said, yes. Because <laughs> um, he introduced me to what you did during the, the pandemic when you did an amazing thing and transformed your... Your, your fruit and vegetable, which is, which is, I mean, fruit and vegetable is not really doing it justice. It's a massive, you know, vegetable sales point in the middle of Borough Market. You transformed it into a sort of a, a cocktail bar stroke, um, you know, uh, restaurant during the day and in the early part of the evening. But you then had the sort of Michelin style uh, seven course tasting menu in another bit. It was amazing what you did. And, and, and I, I, I thought that was so entrepreneurial and so very British as well. Well, that's very kind of you. Yeah. I mean, Mr. Easter, our mutual friend yeah. and, and his lovely wife, Kathy, uh, you came down when it was a pop-up. The That's restaurant. right, yeah. And basically, uh, we have retail down mm. at Borough Market, but we also were serving a lot of the restaurants, yeah. the fine dining restaurants in London. Uh, and it stopped overnight, as right. you well know. Because so, all the restaurants closed down. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so about six months into the uh, lockdown, it, the uh, outdoor mar- outdoor um, eating yeah. uh, was a thing, and, and we've done a pop up, and that's right. what you came to. Right, and we've now got a permanent restaurant there. Yes, so is that there every every evening now? We've Wednesday got... to Saturday. Wow, lunch okay. and evening. Right, because yeah. when I was there the other, I came looking for you the other day actually, because you know I'm in there quite a lot, and I saw that the the, the daytime sort of cafe is is still there and you can so that's a permanent sort of fixture now is it absolutely it's it's gone on strength the strength yeah. market. it's um it, we're very fortunate we 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 during the, lock, during the lockdown we, we serviced the hospitals right quite a topical moment yes indeed. <laughs> so, indeed well so know. many people did so much for the nhs yeah. and that's why i'm a bit disappointed with what they're doing now but let's keep it a non-political yeah, shall we, we for the we're going to cheer you right up right, today good. because Excellent. i brought some stuff well in. you brought some fantastic looking uh, gear here. i mean apart from anything else i mean this to me, I mean, this is one of the biggest and most um, most remarkable uh, pieces of uh, <laughs> vegetation I think I've ever seen. Um, that I mean, could these, go viral. That these, picture, these, Mike. Are, these are great, aren't they? I mean, this is. I mean, I've never actually bought Brussels sprouts like this, and I'm and I'm and I quite like Brussels sprouts. These are amazing. So they're from our farmer in Kent. Okay. And when you, you know, buy when you buy them on the stick, they like s- Jack in the Beanstalk, isn't it? <laughs> How about that? When Very you nice. buy them on the stick, they stay longer. Okay. So you can buy them earlier. Uh, we have got three days to go. So can I Christmas. put those in the car and you, then well, you know, take it home on Saturday? Not in the car, not no? in the car, Michael. Maybe in your garage or outside, outside okay. in your balcony. Maybe so I need to keep them outside? Absolutely. Preferably. Absolutely. Okay, I've got a parsnip here. Always Very nice. important. Very, Very important. important. The only time of year you eat parsnip, isn't it? A bottle of, <laughs> bottle of uh, Rathfinney. Well, that's from East Sussex. This is uh, traditional uh, Sussex champagne. That's you can't what, call it that, can that's you? That's what we uh, give you. It's called Sussex. East Sussex, Rathfinney. That's what we give you when you first enter the uh, restaurant. Very nice. Uh, and nice here's food. a lovely little... Um, Looks like dried fruit scenario. Dried fruit. Very nice. That will last. Some, is this cranberries? Cranberry for your sauce? Yes. For the, of course. Very good. Okay. Now, can I reach everything over here? There's a cauliflower, which I can't reach. What's this here? Sous vide. What's that? Backpack chestnuts, Michael. For your chestnuts. Oh, right. Okay. Listen, you've got all your this vegetables there for your, for your, for oh, your look, Christmas the, dinner. The, the cauliflower oh, just moved someone towards someone stealing me. your aggregate no, potatoes no, there, Michael? No, that was quite weird. The cauliflower started moving towards <laughs> you. Like, oh, you know, it's a moving cauliflower. And these potatoes look amazing. What kind of potatoes are they? They're called agria. They're, 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 they're a hybrid of Maris Piper. Okay. So, Very nice. So that's that's and, that's a, and, and so I mean, business for you must have been a real roller coaster, mustn't it? From the, from from when when did when what, what, that night I came to your place was that like two years ago? It's nearly two years ago. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah it's gone Incredible. so quick, isn't it? Yeah. Listen, it, it, it was do or die, wasn't it? Yeah. We we were going to fold as a company. Yeah. 
uh, we, we managed to keep going, mm. and, and now we're going from strength to strength. Yeah. And have you got all the restaurants back as well? Many well, of them, some of them probably haven't reopened. We've hand selected the ones we wanted to take back, right? Okay. Uh, because because now we're doing the restaurant, it's, it's another arm to our business. Mm. So so we we like spreading it evenly. So yeah. so we're serving the ones we want to serve, right. and we're serving them where they're all the fine dining restaurants, and that's where we got the chef from right. from, from a restaurant called City Social. Yes, uh, was he, he not Scandinavian or Dutch? He's Lithuanian. Lithuanian. He's Lithuanian. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, superb chef, very talented. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and gets what where we're coming from. We're coming from, well, actually, we want to uh, give you the best fruit and vegetables mm. that the world has to offer, yes. not, just, not just Britain. So, right. so we start in London. That's where we start. That's our hub. Right. And we stop where we find the finest. That's okay. why the sprouts come from Kent. Okay. But the cauliflower comes from Boston in Lincolnshire, okay. for instance. Right. Kent do cauliflowers, but we believe. And how do you find all that stuff? I mean, do you have to have people out there sort of sourcing it? It's, th it's 30 years of right. uh, experience of knowing yeah. What, what you believe is the right. best. You know. And this is why, I mean, I know that some people get fed up with it, but I have to say an awful lot of people don't because they come to London and they come to Borough Market and they go, wow, I'm so glad you told us about this place. Because it, it is, it, I think it's one of the wonders of the world. It, I just think it's fantastic. Clive James. Yeah. Clive, in, the, in the early days, uh, he used to be a regular when he was in, mm. in, in the country. Yeah. And I said to him, you've been everywhere, Clive. Right. You know, where's the best uh, market you've ever been to? Right. He said, "Go remarkable," wow. you know? and, and, and that was that was a that was an mm. amazing point. Yes, of, of a time where we, we struggled at at the start yeah. to, to get that market going. Well, I remember going to Borough Market years ago, many many years before it became what it is now, which which is you know it was only open sort of yeah. to the public anyway, like one day a week or something like that. I seem to remember like a Friday or a Saturday or something like that, and it was and it, I just watched it grow and watched this whole area grow really. Well, it started off as, as a wholesale market, yes. like Covent Garden, yes. uh, if people know uh, that, that big wholesale market yeah. in the middle of London. And, and due to, to the, where it was and, 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 and the, the, the uh, up, upgrowth of, of the large lorries, yeah. it, it became sort of not, not eligible to mm. have a market there. So the trustees that run that market decided to go retail, and that was 25 years ago. Right. So I, I've been in there for 35 years. Mm. And we had experience from retail because my dad was a retailer in Pimlico. Right. Okay. He was a greengrocer, sold salad right. in a market called Tatchbrook Street Market. Okay. And so I'm fifth gen uh, fourth generation, my son's fifth generation, right. Charlie, who you've, you've met. Right. And, and, and we've, just, we've just developed something slightly different, slightly mm. unique. Yeah. And what we believe... Absolutely fantastic It's a magnificent product. place. And one of the things you added in was that sort of mushroom area, didn't you, which is fascinating as well. Yeah. I once bought, uh, I, I can't even tell you exactly how I did it, but I think I bought something like seven or eight different types of mushrooms and just got a selection and brought them home. And well, what, about them the and what about the truffles? And then the truffles, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not a massive truffle fan, actually, but I mean, I'll pretty much try anything. You know, um, but but you've got a guy there now who does a sort of a mushroom risotto, doesn't he? Yeah. You can buy and just eat as, as you walk around. The beauty, the beauty of of fruits and vegetables is you can buy an agria potato mm. for 30p a kilo yeah but you can buy a white alba truffle for six thousand pound a kilo yeah. it's 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 having special occasions like yeah. christmas right where where we sell more of the exotic stuff mm. and, and 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 it's a it's a it's beautiful to see because everyone's got a smile on their face yeah all on this doom and gloom sure. time that we're no, in. No, it's true. But you know. also, I mean, people make the mistake sometimes to go, oh, it's all expensive. It's actually not. I mean, you can go to, to, to your place, turnips, and buy just some regular, you know, onions and garlic and tomatoes yeah. and, and lettuce, and it's not that expensive at all. Well, this is the problem, Mike. Mm. I've been spending 25 years of my life telling people you've got to think first about the fruit and vegetables because yeah. they create the seasons. Yes. And secondly, about the proteins, mm. right? Yeah. So whether you have 
beef or turkey or, or mm. grout, whatever you're going to have with that meal, yeah. you're always going to have four, five, six different vegetables on yeah. that plate. Right. And, and people see vegetables as a cheap product, but they shouldn't really. No. They shouldn't. They should, they should see it as the most important thing. The French do it, the mm. Italian do it, the Spanish do yeah. it. I mean, we are Europeans after we all. We are, absolutely right. Know. And also, you know, you, the, the fact is if the, if the produce is better then it tastes better, you know, and that's why I tell people this all the time. Absolutely. You don't just buy, like, frozen vegetables, you know, get some proper stuff and, <coughs> and, put, and put some love into it. Take onions. Yeah. I know it's a bit sad to talk about onions this Not time. Not at all. <laughs> no, listen, you're on my favourite subject, food. <laughs> but the ordinary onion is quite a bitter taste. Yeah. You taste an onion, we, at the moment we're doing a Sauvignon onion dish mm. on, on, on one of Thomas's uh, dishes. Right. And it's sweet and it's beautiful. Well, the sweet it, white onions yeah. that you can get. Well, it's, it's a type of, of yeah. white onion. And, yeah. and, but it has to do very little to that mm. onion because the flavour's already there. Right. So it makes his life easier. Yeah. Uh, and, and, that, and that's what we try and We just try and say, look, where's the best place to get your cauliflower from? Yeah. So some people might go to Kent, but we're going to go to Boston in mm. Lincolnshire because mm. we believe it's better there. Yeah. But we don't stop. There's no boundaries in, 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 in fruit and veg world. Yeah. We could get raspberries from Scotland, but yeah. we could get raspberries from Sweden as right. well. It doesn't really make any difference. And has the price gone up a lot in terms of the last, say, I don't know, six months in terms of the price of the cost of living and all that? It's quite volatile mm. in our in our industry. Yeah. So so we, we get we get droughts, we get weather conditions make a big difference. Mm. So at the moment, yes, of course, all the stuff from, from Europe has gone up easily 15%, 20%, right. which is hard to take. But sure. people that look, want really good stuff are prepared to pay for it. Yeah. And, and it's a special occasion. You don't you don't buy them things every single day. No, of course. Now you've also got a book out. I think we've got a little image of it. Uh, this is, of course, the uh, Turnips Edible Almanac, uh, the week by week guide to cooking with seasonal ingredients. Now um, I haven't actually tried cooking anything for that yet, but I'm going to because uh, I'm I'm going to have some time off over Christmas. So I shall I shall uh, there it is. There's the cover up there. Is it all vegetables or is it there's other stuff in there as well? Well. It's a cookbook as well. Yeah. There's 102 recipes, yeah. uh, most of it by Thomas, the our chef. Yeah. Some by my wife Caroline. Okay. She's she's got roast potatoes in right. there, which is this this week. Has she got basically. a secret? Absolutely. Of course she Absolutely. has. Read the book. All you right. Read the I book will. and you'll find out. Ne- I will. Next week is a uh, cauliflower cheese. Okay. So we've gone very Christmassy this yeah. week. And it's interesting how the uh, the cooks take over from the chefs when mm. Christmas comes. Yes. But it's all it's. Listen, Borough might have just brought out a book called The Knowledge. Yeah. And that book's about all things that are special yeah. in, in fruit and, and fruit, vegetables, fish, meat, right. all sorts of projects. Right. So our book, Turnips, Edible Almanac, is purely about seasonal. When when should you eat your sprouts? Yeah. When should you eat your mango? When right. should you eat your banana? Yeah. Who knows? Right. Well, this is my seasonality. Okay. You know, and this is what I, I've developed over 25 years. And and if if you if you stick halfway to this, you'll eat so many different yeah. varieties of products. Yeah, and that's know? the great thing, isn't it? Yeah, I'm looking forward to this because I'm going to try the old uh, marrons. I'm going to try a bit. Of, I've never made chestnut stuffing before, but so now I'm going to try. I very easy, Michael. Very easy. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And that as well. I don't know if I'm going to be able to last this until <laughs> Saturday, but if not. I'll give it Listen, to you. Listen, chill home. that chill that champagne, because that's the I English will. version of champagne. I will. And, it, and, and it's won lots of awards, yeah. so that's a stunning product. And the Sussex stuff is great. I'm not going to mention the other Sussexes, because that would just depress <laughs> people. But listen, I said Fred, cheer up. Great <laughs> to see you and have a wonderful Christmas. Fantastic. You guys are open until Christmas Eve, three o'clock, I understand, right? No, no. We've got a, a Christmas Eve event 
in mm. the evening. Which oh, is sorry, a, I mean we, Borough Market's open till Borough Market's So you've got an event as well? On the restaurant. Okay. A nice New Year's event as well in okay. the restaurant. And so. can people still come to that? Have you still uh, got There's space? a couple of places left at Christmas Eve. Right. I think New Year's is, is, is filling up it's quite done. quickly. Okay. So. I have to do that. There's always space well. for you, Michael. Well, Don't worry about that. I'll have to, I'll have to come up to, with a plan for that. Brilliant to see you. And uh, a great guy, Fred Turnips. I mean, literally a man... Uh, who has done more for the food business in this country than almost anyone I've ever met. So you should listen to him. You should get his book as well. Uh, and if you have to be around that uh, part of the world, go and pop in and see Turnips and tell him I sent you. Uh, and I'm sure he'll look after you. This is, of course, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We'll be back after this. Nationwide, by your side, talk radio and talk TV. Romeo was struggling to find the perfect Christmas present for Juliet. Luckily, he saved big on Amazon and bought a pair of walkie-talkies. Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? Just heading to the balcony, my love. Roger that. Find perfect last-minute Christmas deals at Amazon. Ends 22nd of December. Just imagine winning Lotto this Christmas Eve. I can't sleep anyway at Christmas Eve, <laughs> let alone if I was a millionaire. You'd have to ring round the family and get them all round that day. And oh. that in itself, just announcing you've won 15 million. Oh, what a feeling. It'd be the best Christmas ever. Let's enjoy it. This Christmas Eve, it could be you. £15 million must be won, or thousands of you will win a share of the jackpot. Play on app. Lotto from the National Lottery. Account terms, rules and procedures apply. Players must be 18 or over. Romeo was struggling to find the perfect Christmas present for Juliet. Luckily, he saved big on Amazon and bought... a pair of walkie-talkies. Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? Just heading to the balcony, my love. Roger that. Find perfect last-minute Christmas deals at Amazon. Ends 22nd of December. Good evening, late-night revellers. This is the last bus home. Calling it is still ringing and tired dancing feet via warm fries or a cheeky cheeseburger. Our final destination, as always, is home. Plenty of McDonald's restaurants are open late tonight. See mcdonalds.com for opening times. Your way from driveway to motorway. Talk radio. Travel update. The M62 in West Yorkshire is closed westbound from Junction 24 at Ainley Top to 22 at Rishworth Moor after an accident. There are queues from just after Junction 25 at Brig House with long delays as you divert on the M606 in West Yorkshire. There's a lane closed northbound where someone's broken down at Junction 3 for the Stagate roundabout causing queues. And on the M271 in Hampshire, there's a lane closed northbound where a lorry's broken down between Junction 1 near Southampton and the M27 causing delays. That's the latest. I'm Russell Holding. Talk Radio. Powered by common sense. Activated by opinion. Free speech radio. On the app, on your smart speaker and on the money. Talk Radio. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Clear-headed, honest opinion. Watch live on Freesat Channel 217. On Apple TV and Samsung TV+. Plus. Listen live on DAB+. Ask your smart speaker to play Talk TV. Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So if you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. 
The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.